think about what excites you, what's going to challenge you. Try different things, try new things, learn outside of work and within work, because you will end up working with technology and in technology anyway. I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and welcome to How Did You Get That Job? A podcast that explores the secrets behind career success in the tech industry. In this episode, we meet Sean Akindeli, the Head of Data and Innovation at Calm. Now, Calm is a charity, and that stands for Campaign Against Living Miserably. They are there to help support anyone who's struggling with life, no matter who you are, to show you that life is always worth living. This is because in the UK, 125 lives are lost each week through suicide, and staggeringly, 75% of those are male. We'll be chatting with Sean and exploring her love for using tech for good and to touch upon challenges and considerations which are always being factored in. Hopefully, we'll help bust a few myths and preconceptions around the often seen stuffy and slow pace of charity sector. And like always, we'll gaze into the future and talk about new tech, regulations, and what it's needed to join a team like Sean's. Great to have you on the show, Sean. Why don't we start with you telling us about Calm? Calm is a suicide prevention charity, has been existed for about two decades now. We do this by taking a stand against suicide. That actually means in a practical is in three ways. Through our life-saving services, that could be our content, so any guides, articles, videos that we produce, or through free confidential chats with our helpline staff, and that is either phone line or web chat. Secondly, through our national campaigns, um, we challenge stereotypes and challenge the stigma that prevents people from talking about suicide. So we've done some massive campaigns, our first one being Project 84, and our most recent one being Last Photo, which was an exhibition in the South Bank that was the last photos from people who had taken their own lives, which kind of the caption of suicide doesn't always look suicidal, which is an amazing one. Check it out online if you can. And then thirdly, by building communities for people, no matter who who they are, where they're from, and what they're going through. And that's calm. So you're the head of data and innovation. How does your role fit within the organization? And tell us a little bit about your responsibilities. So we're a centralized team supporting all the departments at Calm. That is the fundraising team, the marketing teams, the services teams, and the operations team. And within data innovation, we have three brilliant teams of multidisciplinary experts working closely together. So we've got the CRM team looking after all of our audience data. So those are people who fundraise for us, do any activities to raise money for us and donate to us or sign up to our newsletter. Our data platforms team who collect all the data from across the organization and outside of the organization into one platform so that we can deliver insights into the organization to ensure that we can make data-driven, insight-led decision-making. And then our product team that optimize and improve our products and services that meet the user and organizational needs. So we look to surface and support our audience in different ways and how our team kind of go into the different departments to support that as well. So Sean, what does success look like in your role? Really great question. I read an article recently, I can't remember where it was now, but they were talking about rather than data transformation, which feels like it has a start and an end, we speak about it as data evolution, where we're continuously changing and adapting to what's happening within the organization or outside of the organization, the market. And I thought that was a really neat way of describing what success would look like in this role. So create the ability 
for future growth and change rather than just setting up the foundations and allowing that to be restrictive. We need to build something that allows us to be flexible, to change, to grow and to find opportunities. Tech is changing all the time. I want us to be there right with that change and leading on that change as well. Obviously, you were in the private sector before you joined the charity sector. So tell us, how did you get that job? I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a generalist. My career has been a mixture of trying lots of different things and figuring out what interests me and what doesn't. I started as a business analyst, have worked in marketing, have done product and deciding on going into the charity sector wasn't a deliberate decision. It just happened, I think, seeing an opportunity to lead a team and build a team. When I first started, our team was four or five of us, and we're now a team of 12. And taking that opportunity to use everything that I have learned just over a decade, bringing that into opportunities for me to get experience building a team, learning from some amazing people, but also bringing the information I have and experience I've gained to support the organization as well. What advice would you give to someone who is striving to be the head of data and innovation? Let them do their job. Don't take a senior role or a head of data and innovation role and try and be part of everything and do everything as they're much smarter people there than I am. So hire them and let them do their job. Guide them, but let them do their job. Really learn how to communicate really learn how to get those neural pathways into all the different parts of the organization. It's a centralized team. We can't sit in the corner and not speak and not understand what the different departments are working on. So ensure that you know how to communicate, be a strong communicator and understand their needs, their challenges and how you can best support them. And finally, and I think really important is like lead with compassion. For my team, it means making sure that they know that I'm here to help when they need them, but also allowing them to flourish and grow and take the limelight when they're doing some fantastic work. Yeah, good advice. Now, listeners, if you'd like to discover more about careers in technology, then head to expertsintechnology.haze.com. And in the insight section, you'll see firsthand accounts, shared experiences, and tips to succeed in the tech industry. And Sean, this is the part of the podcast where we like to focus more on you. So when we first met, you told me how you were really passionate and focused on tech for good. Can you talk about tech for good and what about that really motivates you? Yeah, definitely. It feels like it's only probably the last maybe five years that I've really focused on tech for good. But when I look at my experience and the history, I feel like it started a lot earlier I did a biochemistry degree. With that, I thought I would do medical research, scientific research, did a lab research piece of work over a summer on Huntington's disease, which is a rare hereditary disease that affects nervous system. And when I was doing that, kind of dawned on me that this probably wasn't the right route for me. It felt siloed, alone, not as much group and teamwork that I require, but also it's the long game. And selfishly, I wanted some quicker successes. So when I graduated, I didn't really know that tech for good organizations outside of scientific research existed. So I took a new love magazines, took a role in a publishing house and was a data analyst because that's what I knew how to do, get data, analyze it and share insights with the organization. And as I kind of developed my own career 
and took lots of different opportunities, say yes to a lot of things. I worked out that there is a role, there is an industry here that was focused on purpose-driven good to the society. And that's what drives my passions. I feel like it's always been there, but it was how I defined it and how I found my way through to kind of do things that I feel like I really love and really make an impact to my day-to-day. So Sean, in episode five of the series, we spoke to Tariq Khan from the Candom Council, and he spoke passionately about how the public sector really is not how it's perceived. Really strong talent from the private sector are making the move to public. What would you say to anybody listening who is considering making that switch as well? Yeah, I think when I first took on the role or applied for this role, I had very similar views to a lot of people who have spent their careers working in the private sector, where it was going to be slow, it's going to be old, you'd just be sitting there just getting things done, kind of signing in and signing out, getting your work done, and that's it, you know, no innovation. But I think that when you make that move and what you quickly learn is that you have to be open to be proven wrong and you will be proven wrong. I think there may be aspects and there are some aspects within every charity that are a bit slower or frustrating, but I feel like that happens in the private sector as well. And although a lot of people are making that move from private to public or charity, and they're very strong and bring their experience to it, I also think that I work with a number of really, really brilliant and experienced and strong colleagues who have spent their careers in the charity sector. You will always have a first impression, but you will be proven wrong. And you need to listen, learn, because you're also learning from some really great people in this sector as well. With the way the world has been as of late, it seems like people are much more passionate about things that they care about. Have you noticed more of an influx of people like looking into making that transition to the not-for-profit or the charitable type foundations? I think anecdotally, yes. I don't have any data on that. But I think that in general, people are more aware of who they work for and what they're doing and want to work for places that are mission purpose-driven and led and not just financially motivated. I think that just by virtue of me now working in this sector, I'm looking out for other organizations that are doing similar or have specific passion, purpose-led mission. It's more visible to me. But I also think that as a generation, we are holding organizations with high standards of what they're doing. So whether that is climate change, mental health, etc., we want to ensure that our passions and what we truly believe in also kind of melt into our day-to-day. There's not as much a difference between your home life and your work life. And if you're going to spend so much time at work, why wouldn't you do something that you're passionate about or that is impacting change in society. Yeah, I really think remote life has made a huge impact on that as well, because the two are very blended between home and work. We've had a few topics that have come up a few times on the podcast series with our guests, and one is around being a woman in tech. Would you feel comfortable talking about your own personal experience and you know, certainly how you've built out your career? Early days, I probably wouldn't describe myself working in tech, even though I was. I just felt like a job. And I was doing it. I was probably more ignorant to the fact that I didn't work with that many women. There wasn't that many women senior to me. And it's until you look back, you go, oh, wow, I've never had female CEO. 
in any organizations I've worked for. I have only ever been managed, and that was when I was working in marketing by an all-women team, and that was brilliant. Real start of my career, I worked in an all-female marketing team, and that has carried me through the last few years because you can relate and you understand some of the challenges and struggle that we face, and that gives you kind of strength to kind of keep going. I think that I am now more directed and now focused on uplifting women or marginalized groups than I ever have been. I think that comes with age, that comes with experience, and that comes with understanding that you can speak up and it doesn't impact your career. But I also think that there's lots more to be done in this area of introducing or shining a light on the fact that a lot of women actually do work in tech whether we get to see them or not, it's important that people know who to go to, know who their best examples of these people are. You know, it's curious though, is having been in the staffing side of it, I totally get the, how do we lift individuals up? But one of the challenges I find in the staffing industry is the lack of diversity from a talent perspective. There's just not a lot of women in tech. There's not a lot of diversity in tech. And we had somebody on the program that talked about how Tech is probably the most diverse industry there is. Tech touches everybody, but we have so few people who actually, from a diverse background, want to be in tech. And I'm just curious your take on that. I mean, thoughts, theories? I think if we look hard enough and we look in the right places and we are agnostic about how we find talent, we'll find diversity in our hires. I think it can often be an excuse that there's just not that many of them, so we can't hire that's one side of it. I also think that work needs to be done. I don't know how this is done, but work needs to be done at the earlier stages of people's careers, in schools, at university, of introducing to diverse groups, marginalized groups, career opportunities and prospects. What does it mean in lots of communities? The top jobs or the jobs that people talk about are the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers. How do we ensure that we can show tech not just as you can be the next founder of Facebook, because that feels so far removed from most people, but the kind of actual work people are doing in this industry where they're making small but significant changes to people's lives. Now, this is a part of the podcast where we like to look into the future a little bit. Talk about things to come. For you, Sean, I mean, you're the head of data and innovation at Calm. I mean, how do you think your role will evolve in the coming years? It's a really tough one because we're a really early stage of the data innovation team. When I joined two years ago, as I said, there was two of us. Now we have 12. So we're still at that kind of working out the positive impact we can have on the organization and building that into a nice, cohesive team. But I think future. What does that look like in this role? I think it looks like a couple of things, actually. I think one, personalized data is massive and is getting bigger. And how do we ensure that what we collect about people that they give us is used to provide a personalized bespoke experience with us within the charity. So what does that look like? Not just an account area that tells you everything that you've done for them, but how do we kind of create unique content, unique support, unique help specific to a user need? I think what's going to be really important for this role also would be ethics 
in emerging tech and new tech and how we navigate it as a charity to use this new technology for the benefit of our organization and not just because it's new and fancy and you want to give it a go. And finally, looking for opportunities to be innovative. How do you innovate with fundraising? How can we change that? How can we get people to donate to us? How do we innovate within the service that we provide? We provide it through content, whether it's written, video, et cetera, but also through our phone lines and our web chat. And where is that going? What is the future of mental health, suicide prevention support going? And how can we be a part of leading that? Yeah, just then you mentioned new technologies. Are you working presently or in the future with any tools like artificial intelligence? And if so, how will that affect Calm moving forward? We are always looking at what new tech can bring positive changes and positive impact on our audience, whether that's artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those kind of things. But what we also have, and lots of organizations, but what is really at the center of implementing these type of technologies is the ethics of it. We have an audience who are struggling, who may not trust technology. How do we ensure that ethically we are developing and creating things that are positive and have a positive impact on people rather than using AI because it's cool to use AI and we all want a bit of an experience in building something. I think in terms of calm moving forward, how it impacts or affects calm moving forward is that we have to be careful. We have to ensure that when reviewing or having discussions about the tech we introduce, we have our user at the center of those decisions. And we make decisions on that rather than how brilliant it would be to use that tech or develop that tech. Certainly being a charity, I, I would guess that you are very heavily regulated. How does that impact you from your role, your organization moving forward towards the future? We are regulated and obviously you report into the Charities Commission, but we have the flexibility to ensure that everything that we are doing, as long as it is towards our mission and our purpose, it's important that we're able to innovate and try and test things. Lots of private organizations or big organizations talk about test and fail fast, etc. That's what we need to be doing and having the ability to do that. But we have the extra layer of ensuring that we can test and trial and do new things, but don't negatively impact the people who are coming to us for help is the obstacle rather than governmental or structural obstacles we're facing. It, it is innovating and testing and trying and being brave with what we are doing, but ensuring that it's not going to negatively impact people who come to us for support. That's where the difficulty is actually, because people who come to Calm can be in distress, stressed, looking for answers, and we would never want to negatively add to that. It's kind of the pinch point for us as well. When you're looking to hire for your organization, I mean, what do you look for? What's important to you? So I've just done that. In the last year, we grew the team from five to 12. So what I really look for is passion for what they do. Definitely a passion for the organization and our mission. But I think what is even more important for this type of role 
or this type of team is that they really love, whether it's CRM, whether it's data, whether it's product, they really love doing their job because it's tough to be around suicide all day long. And if you don't love your job, it's even tougher to get through it. So definitely people who love what they do are ambitious and then looking to really learn and really challenge themselves. People who can pivot and make change and be able to take that data and go, it's telling me a completely different thing. Now we make change, not be foolhardy and just go with what they believe that should happen. I think hiring for the team is hiring people that are better than me, who know a lot more than me and who can deliver on our objectives and our strategy for the organization as well. It is really difficult hiring into charity, some of these type of roles, particularly the product roles, because the last few years are, you know, famous in lots of other organizations and they're the stars of the show and they have massive budgets. But finding people who are ready to roll their sleeves up and get the work done is really important as well. Now, what would you say to someone listening who hasn't considered a career in technology? What advice would you give them as a potential career opportunity? Don't think about it as a career in technology, because I never really thought about that as I was picking and moving jobs and trying new things. Think about what you really love, because most jobs, especially in the future, will be in technology. So think about what excites you what's going to challenge you. And then don't be afraid to make move, try different things, try new things, learn outside of work and within work, because you will end up working with technology and in technology anyway. It's a different frame of mind than a decade ago or so where you purposely went into technology organizational tech roles. Your roles will be in tech. So find something that you love. And finally, what are your goals and aspirations for your career moving forward? Really, really tough question. I think long-term goals is definitely to stay within the tech for good area, ensuring that I'm doing work that is going to impact society in its broadest of terms, in society, whatever that looks like. I think I would talk about my aspirations less of job title and seniority, but to be doing work that I love and continuously learning. I have changed jobs. I've been freelance, lots of different things, mainly because I wanted to learn and I wanted to give myself the opportunity to experience different workplaces, experience different roles and make a decision as I go. And that's how I often do it. If I had a mentor at the moment, (laughs) they'll tell me you need to be more pointed with that. But I'm not big on the five, 10 year plan. I'm on, let's take it a day as it goes or a a year as it comes and make a decision at that point. So for me, it will be, where can I learn more? Have I stopped learning in my current role or whatever I'm doing? So where can I learn something that will improve my skills and challenge me? And that's the biggest thing. I think my manager said to me the other day, a project that's going slow and a Sean that's not challenged is not a happy Sean. (laughs) And I think that's me for sure, is always looking for that next challenge and always learning new things, regardless of whether it is an upward move, a sideways move or a downwards move. Yeah, love it. Sean, listen, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. That was Sean Akindeli, the head of data and innovation at Calm. I really liked how Sean said that you need to be open to being proven wrong about misconceptions. 
I think listening to her talk about the challenges specifically around the subject matter of calm is really tough and certainly tougher than probably a lot of other tech organizations face. I also have to agree with her on her comment about how education needs to not focus on telling people how to be the next founder of Facebook, but instead teaching them how to make small but significant changes using tech to better people's lives. And then finally, I really liked her comment about how as a leader, you should lead with compassion and that you should always take into consideration the individual's position and always let them stand in spotlight when needed. I'm Sean Cheatham, the Chief Commercial Officer at Hayes, and you've been listening to How Did You Get That Job? In our next episode, we'll be focusing in on careers within the cybersecurity space. To find out more about Hayes, visit our website at expertsintechnology.hayes.com. And to never miss an episode, make sure you hit follow wherever you get your podcasts.